This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to episode 81 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with Trisha Goyer to discuss the tools she uses to calm angry kids. She has 10 of them, so her toolbox is very full. You will hear how the grace of God is weaved throughout her story, which includes teen pregnancy, adoption, fostering, homeschooling, and publishing over 70 books, one of which includes Mom's Night Out, inspired by the hit movie. Today you will hear how God answered Trisha's prayer. God, I have screwed up big time. If you can do anything with my life, please do it. She also shares a mantra she speaks over and over again when dealing with an angry child. She uses it to help keep herself calm. And questions you can ask to help children move from the emotional part of their brain to the thinking part of their brain. Before we dive into our conversation, I want to invite you to become a part of the Grace Enough community. You can visit graceenoughpodcast.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you are listening to this episode when it releases, which is August 2020, you will receive a free download when you sign up. 10 Scriptures to Pray as We Begin a New School Year During a Pandemic. As a side note, their scriptures can be prayed during the whole year as they cover topics like trust, protection, and peace. I printed mine off, laminated it so that I can use it on a daily basis. With that, here is my conversation with Trisha Goyer, episode 81, Calming Angry Kids. Good morning, Trisha. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great being here. Will you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about your family and what you do. Okay, well, I'm Trisha Goyer. I've been married to John for 30 years. We have 10 kids, um, three biological, then we've adopted seven. And I'm a homeschool mom, a writer, a speaker. So every day it's a balance of taking care of kids, making meals, doing laundry, writing books, writing a newsletter, (laughs) you know, I was speaking a lot that all got canceled, but um, it's just every day is a balance of all these things. Yes. Well, and what is your youngest child? How old? Nine. Okay. So you are homeschooling how many currently? Six. Okay. Don't you have grandchildren too? I do. So my oldest son is 31. So I was a teen mom before I met and married John. So he's 31. He's married with four kids. Um, He lives in town. So Girl, you we are just, busy. <laughs> I know. I love love it. And then I have um, a daughter who's in the Czech Republic. She's a missionary. Nice. And she's married, and she has one that's a year and a half. And we we video call every single morning. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So you know, I, I feel like we spend a lot of time together, even though she's on the other side of the world. Yeah. And then my twenty six year old's a college student in town. Our twenty year old's a college student in town, and she has a baby. And then we have six at home. So busy. But what a <laughs> gift that you have so many close to home. Yeah, our one is on the other side of the world, but everyone else is within 10 minutes. Yeah, that's great. Well, and that's a whole conversation I feel like we could have about how has it impacted your daughter, this whole COVID thing. And But we won't get into that as far as (laughs) in being halfway across the world. I mean, it's Yeah, well, she was supposed to come home for Easter for five weeks, and she hasn't been able to. So they still have their plane tickets. Her and her husband, 
her sister-in-law and a cousin, <laughs> her husband's cousin, were all going to come. It's been five weeks, and then that was all canceled. So hopefully, hopefully, I don't know, fall, winter, I don't know when the flights are going to be available again. I know. It's just a lot of unknowns. It's like, you know, there's some things that are really consistent about every day right now, but then there's just all of these, you know, people are trying to plan conferences, and you know, mm-hmm. as a speaker, it's like, Am I going to have to do it online? Will we ever be in per- person again? It's just so strange. Yeah, every one of my conferences, I think I had seven in the spring and summer, and all of them were canceled. Yeah. So, and then fall, are people scheduling people, or how's that working out? Even my my September one was canceled too. So so far, I have nothing <laughs> on my schedule, which is amazing. Except my garage is filled with books because I would sell a lot of books at conferences, <sighs> and I have boxes and boxes of books. Well, and that's a good, a good segue a little bit into your story because you've authored over 70 books. Isn't that correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. I have. And I mean, I have to give a little shout out because you authored Mom's Night Out. Right. I did the novelization of it. Yes. And so what was it like? Like they had to come to you to say, hey, we like this story. We want to put it in movie form. Actually, it was opposite. So they had the movie and they wanted to do a book out of it. So I got this call from a publisher that said, we were trying to find someone to write this book to go with this movie. Would you be interested? I'm like, hmm, moms that are like completely overwhelmed and need a night out. And yes, let's call Trisha Goyer. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> she can obviously do it. So it was super fun because I got the movie. It's probably like 90% complete. So there were some parts that just say, insert dialogue about this like it have a like a black box right but the rest of the movie was all there um and I just sat down and watched it over and over and over again and wrote the book so that was super fun I got to go to the red carpet that's so um, cool and be there with all the actors and actresses that I'm like everyone's like looking at me like who are you (laughs) you know here's Sean Astin and all these people in front of me and then I'm like hey (laughs) but it was fun that's okay though because it's like hey here's my book I got to do something I was a part of this too so that's really cool yeah yeah it was super fun well your story is so saturated with the grace of God and honestly as I was just thinking about what would I ask Trisha because you talk about so many different things I just thought, I want to know a little bit about your faith journey. And I feel like in order to set the stage for people who may be listening, they need to know so much of what you've experienced. So if you'll share a little bit of that with us, um, I would be grateful. Oh, I would love it. So I grew up um, in a, when I was little, our family did not go to church. And so it was around second grade, my mom and my grandma they started going to church. It was actually my aunt that came back from college. She, I think she'd been involved in like Campus Crusade for Christ. Ended up telling my mom and my grandma about Jesus, and they became Christians. And um, I remember them getting baptized. I remember going to like First Communion at a Catholic church, and then all of a sudden we're going to this new church, and it was a total different experience. They were they were different people. And the next door neighbor also witnessed to my grandma, and it was just this community all of a sudden overnight where. All of a sudden, I'm sitting next to my mom and my grandma in the pew, and they're singing hymns. And so really, from second grade on, um, it was that time with this small, small church community. And I remember, and I've been thinking about this a lot, just the saints in that church that would just reach out to us and, Mm. you know, have those potluck meals and give me hugs. Church potluck. (laughs) (laughs) The mint in the pocket. You know, I mean, just that, that neat, older 
community. We had a Sunday school teacher that would memorize verses and we get prizes out of the treasure box. I mean, all those things. And I'm so grateful. But at home, my mom was a really young Christian. My stepdad was not a Christian. And so it was very... I mean, it wasn't like we, I grew up in a Christian family at home. Right. Um, it really was just that kind of church experience. And then when I got to my teen years, I got into boys and boyfriends. And really it was, I still, I still believed in God, but I just didn't want to think about him because I didn't want him to think about me and what yeah. I was doing. It was like, if I don't think about God, then, you know, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and all yeah. these things. I can remember. And then when I was 15, I had an abortion, got pregnant by my boyfriend, had an abortion, which is something I really regret. 17, pregnant again, same boyfriend. And that time I'm like, nope, I'm having the baby. And so really dropped out of school. I was so embarrassed to go to school. Our school was like 200 people, um, the whole high school. So dropped out of school and just was like so depressed at home. And it was one day that I woke up and I thought of those women in church and they still still kept reaching out to me they gave me baby shower even though you know here I was this pregnant teenager the same sweet ladies from church and um I thought you know if they still love me maybe God does too and that's when I just like God I have screwed up big time that was my eloquent prayer if you can do anything with my life please do and from that moment I just felt this light and this peace in my heart and I started reading my bible I mean really it was a big transformation started going to church with my mom I was like all in because I knew like I was headed the wrong direction and I just felt his peace and love in a way that I can't even describe. Wow. Well, and you met, ended up meeting your husband. How old was your first son when you met your husband? Okay. So this is a cool story. So remember that neighbor that I talked about that would witness to my grandma? Well, her sister-in-law and brother-in-law were pastors. And so we started going to that church. And so she'd always been my Aunt Lois. She's my grandma's neighbor. She's always been my Aunt Lois. Well, she's actually my husband's Aunt Lois. And so, so we have pictures of us when we were little. We'd be like all with Aunt Lois and sitting around a table like my mom and my grandma's baptism. And they're there with John's family. <laughs> and so yes. I kind of knew him growing up. But then they moved away. But uh, we started going to his, church, his dad's church when I was pregnant. And um, it was like he was a cute drummer in the worship band. And I'm like, hmm, let's let's look at this. But on the day Corey was born, and here it is. I'm 17, had this baby, had him at 3 o'clock in the morning, was home by noon. I mean, I'm sure I put my jeans on on the way home. (laughs) Just like (laughs) popped this baby out, was home. And he came over that night, John did, um, and said... Uh, brought me a teddy bear and a card and said, hey, just want to let you know, congratulations. And I'm like, wow, he's he's cute. So and he was cool. and really he was just reaching out, being kind. And a couple of weeks late, later, my mom got a call from his mom who said, hey, if John asked Trisha out on a date, would she go? And so I'm like, yeah. And so it was like the moms were doing this calls connection. back and forth connection. And he ended up asking me on a date. But the interesting part is a couple of years before he had seen me at church um, and he had been in the Marine Corps at the time. And he asked his mom, like, who is that girl? And she says, that's Trisha. Stay away from her. She's trouble. <laughs> and so it tells you how much of a transformation was in my life. Because right. here it is after I had my baby. She's like, oh, yeah, take her on a date. So um, we wow. started, like, he was there literally from the day Corey was born. Like, that's the first time he came over. And we started dating when Corey was two weeks old. We got engaged when he was four months old and got married when Corey was nine months old. So literally he has been there from the beginning. That's an incredible story because that's just so rare. It is so rare. I mean, it just shows you he's such an amazing guy. And like once we started dating, I'm like, I'm not letting him get away. <laughs> like yeah. this is 
a great guy, like unlike anyone I had dated before. He just loved God and he was just so caring. And um, so, yeah, we've been married for 30 years now and Corey's 31. Tell us a little bit about your family, because as you said, you've adopted several. And so if you can kind of tell us a little bit about how all of those kids came into your life. Yeah. So I had Corey when I was 17. And then um, we had Leslie a couple years later after we were married. And then we had Nathan a year after that. So I was 22. I had three kids. Um, and we're like, we're done. I was just so overwhelmed as a young mom. He was going to school, working at Domino's Pizza. I was a stay-at-home mom, like completely young mom, over, overwhelmed. Um, but then as the years passed, I think our youngest was about seven, I started thinking about adoption. And, you know, well, we're still young. There's lots of kids out there. And John was like, no. <laughs> like right away, he's like, no, we're busy. And by the time I was writing, um, I had helped start a crisis pregnancy center. So we were busy. He's like, how are we going to do that? And the money. I mean, there's all those things that come up. Yeah. And really, I just prayed about it. It wasn't like something I like talked about all the time, but I would just pray. I think I brought it up a couple times over the next probably five years. And then one day um, he came to me and he says, are, have you, are you still considering adoption? Because God had put it on his heart. And I think wow. that is such an important thing. If I would have just kept pounding him about it and he would have like resigned to it, it would have not probably worked out well. That's but right. it was like, I stepped back and like, just, I would pray about it. Like if it's supposed to happen, it's going to happen. And God really opened his heart to it. And um, we actually had started going through to adopt from China. And right when all our paperwork was in, they closed all the, all of it down from you know being able to adopt a healthy baby girl. I mean, literally, like May, we turned in our paperwork, and by like September, they're like shutting the doors. And I was so like, I've been waiting for five years, God, I don't understand. It was probably seven years by this time. And then we waited another year because we still were unsure like how long we weren't sure how long they were going to keep it closed, the mm-hmm. the Chinese adoption program there. Um, But a year later, we got an email and it was in November. We got an email that said, you know, it might be five years. It might be never. What do you want to do? And I just remember going to bed and just bawling because here it was, you know, eight years by this point that I'd been wanting to adopt. We had spent this money in home studies. And I mean, it's a lot of work to get everything in in China. And then they're saying, we don't even know if it's going to happen. And I just remember like an hour of me, my pity party. And then finally, just like, God, you know, the child, you know, I mean, you put it on John's heart, you put it on my heart, like whoever it is, it might not be China, just, just, I have peace. And I just like totally relinquished it to him. And it was actually that very day, that afternoon, I was taking my grandma, my grandma's lived with us for 20 years, too. She still lives with us. She's 90 years old. So what a gift, um, though. I know she's right in the next room. But um, it was that afternoon, I was taking her to Walmart. And I got a call from someone I knew from Mops. I didn't even know her very well. And she knew a young woman who um, was pregnant and was looking for a family to, and then they knew our kind of our story. I had talked about it at Mops about the you know, struggles with adoption. And she said, you know, would you consider meeting her? And well, I'm like, yes. And so it went from that day thinking, we're, you know, maybe five years, maybe never to um, she was probably six months pregnant by the time we met her. So we had a, a baby within three months. And that really was the point where I just had to relinquish to God. Like, this is my plan. This is my idea. This is what we've been working for. But when I finally said, like, whoever, it was just, like, so clear that he put that my name on that my, my friend's heart that day to tell that young woman. And so we adopted Alyssa in 2010. And um, we moved to li- from Montana to Little Rock that, like, a week after we got her. <laughs> like, literally, oh, new baby, new 
part of the country, total culture shock. And then when we were down here, we heard about all the kids in foster care. And so a couple of years later, we adopted a um, two-year-old and a five-year-old, a two-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl from foster care. And then um, four, three years later, we opened our home to four sisters, ages 11, 13, 13, and 15. So we completely adopted out of order um, <laughs> from, you know, so we adopted six girls and one boy in five years' time. Goodness, girl, yeah. that's yeah, a lot. It is incredible, though, because I listen to that. And so often, we do struggle so much with God's timing and his purpose. But even as we read his word, we see so much waiting or people not mm-hmm. understanding. And so when you look back in hindsight at your own life or at people, you know, in God's word, it's like, oh, my goodness, all along, he really does know. Yes. Yeah, and, and we just—it it feels like you're putting this horrible roadblock up, but really, it was like, well, it's not a baby in China that I have for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about that prayer you prayed when you were 17. You know, God, I have screwed up big time. Um, if you can do anything with my life, please do it. And you have shared a few of the things that He has done already. Um, But what are some other ways that you have really experienced God's answer to that prayer? Yeah, I mean, just the the fact that I've been married 30 years is just, I mean, on all my whole side of my family, except for my grandma and grandpa, there's not been a marriage that's lasted, you know, more than a couple of years. I mean, there's just divorce. There's tons of teen pregnancy. I think my brother, all my cousins, um, Everyone has had multiple unplanned pregnancies. So it's just that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. My mom had me out of wedlock, my aunt, you know, I mean, it's just a cycle that I feel God has broken. And just the fact that John and I are like happy and enjoying yeah. life and then having these kids, which is, um, you know, again, it's taking all these broken stories and then God's molding them together and building a beautiful picture. And it's not easy. I mean, there's kids coming from trauma. There's some hard, hard things. But just the fact that we're a family and that we experience life together and that um, he has brought us all together is huge. And then the fact that I'm a stay-at-home mom that is writing books, writing articles. I have a high school diploma. Like, I don't have any degree. I don't have an English degree. (laughs) I don't have. And it has been going to conferences meeting people, taking steps of faith, like, oh, I'm going to pitch an article to this magazine, which I have never had anything published before. But hey, I'm just going to take these steps of faith. And really, God has opened doors and just brought amazing mentors into my life, amazing people. And so really, I love talking to young moms. We have a a young mom support group here in Little Rock um, that we meet during the school year. And just saying, like, if I can do it, you guys can do it. Like, I just have my high school diploma. I don't have a college degree. I, you know, I don't have this training. It's just me trying really hard, taking these steps of faith, failing a lot. It was five years from the time I started writing until I got anything published, you know, but it's like that persistence really pays off. And so, so much of my life is like, well, I'm going to try it. (laughs) and I might not, you know, get it perfectly right, but I'm going to keep trying and keep learning. And constantly I'm still like always taking online courses and learning things. And I just feel like, if God puts it on my heart to try something, I just need to do my best effort. And it may not be perfect, but at least I'm doing something for him. Well, and that reminds me of a conversation I had recently talking about rejection. And we were just talking about how, you know, when that happens, we can really either become bitter, or we can become better. 
And mm-hmm. a lot of times it really is a choice. And in this case, with rejection, I'm talking about business-wise. Like you right. write, you put something out there. And I would say most most people get the answer no before they get a first yes, right? And so oh, just absolutely. pressing into that. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I would write stuff and send it out and get rejected. And this is back in the day. This is really aging me. But we would send stuff through the mail. That's right. With a self-adjust envelope for people to send the rejection letter back and when email started then it got easier but I still get rejected like I still have book proposals that like well no one really picked that idea up so let's just move on it's not you know even though I have 70 books it doesn't mean every idea that I have is going to get picked up by a publisher so and there's seasons there's one book idea that I had in 1999 and um, it was called Prayers That Changed History. And it's about these amazing people in history and times they prayed. My agent pitched it, didn't get anything. And then years later, it was like 15 years later, I was at wow. a conference talking to an editor. And she's like, well, do you have anything for kids? And I'm like, well, I have this really old proposal. And I told her, and she was like, that's the book I want. And it was like 15 years later. It had completely been sitting on my hard drive. And um, now it was published, I think in 2000, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something like that. But it's amazing, like, those ideas, it, it doesn't even mean it's for that season. Like, just keep working at it. Keep trying. Put it, the words on paper, and you never know when God's going to use it. Mm, such a good word, and so true. And I think anybody who's walked with Jesus for any amount of years, we can look back and say that's true. Like, his mm-hmm. faithfulness, we just see it all over the place once we've walked with him long enough. You know, if you pay attention, it's very obvious. Yes, absolutely. Well, you are your mama to 10 and you have experienced being a foster parent. You are an adoptive parent. You're a biological parent. You've single parented for a short amount of time. You've really just run the gamut of various ways of parenting. And so with that, I know you've experienced a range of personalities and like you said, trauma. Um, And so we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about calming angry kids You wrote a book about that, but you really just have a lot of wisdom to share there. And so share with us a few things that you have learned about anger. And well, let's just start there. Share a couple of things that you have really learned about anger in children. Absolutely. So raising the first three kids, I mean, you know, there's always the times you're upset, you might raise your voice a little and they get upset and raise their voice a little, but it was a completely new thing bringing kids in from trauma. And what I learned very quickly is that they have triggers. It may, not, it may not be anything that I even understand. And it doesn't even have to be adopted kids. It could be any kids that might have something that triggers them. For example, um, we would be out and my husband would say, well, let's go to Burger King for lunch. Well, one of my kids would just get so angry. I'm not going there. And then they should explode and all these things. Well, we realized a year later, I mean, this is a long time later, that when they were first taken from their biological mom, the police officer took them to Burger King for breakfast. And so anytime I mention a Burger King, and so, I mean, that's a very clear example, but there's small little things that would trigger them. And then all of a sudden they're angry. And with my three that had been raised in a stable home, you know, they're angry. You say, don't do that. Go to your room. You discipline them. Um, I would try to do the same thing and it would just expound the anger. And then I would get mad because they weren't listening to me. They weren't going to time out or going to their room. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was their trigger and their anger, they actually needed me to acknowledge them and to draw them close instead of discipline them. So really, I think with a lot of kids, 
it's easy for us to give them um, consequences without really understanding what is going on in their heart and why are they angry? You know, I'm, they're angry with their sibling. It makes no sense to me. And I was jumping straight to consequences. But really, again, either they were triggered or maybe it was their biological mom's birthday and I didn't know it or mm-hmm. something else was going on in their hearts or maybe they had a bad dream or and one of our daughters, um, she gets hangry. Like if she's hungry and she, and I'm not a doctor or foster. So, exactly. I'm dead serious about that. So I think one of the things that I have learned is like what is behind the anger instead of reacting to it, instead of trying to uh, immediately jump to consequences, like, okay, you know, TV for you tonight. I mean, that was initially because that's the way I had raised the first three. I was going straight to those consequences. And now I could say, you know what? I just think you're hungry right now. Let's go get a snack. And mm. just having that compassion and listening and, and acknowledging that. Another thing is acknowledging their anger. I'll say, you're angry. Yes, I'm angry because she said blah, blah, blah. Just acknowledging it is so helpful. Or you're sad. Are you sad? Is that why you're acting this way? And when you acknowledge their emotions, Mm. then they're able to jump from the reactions to the conversation. It moves from the emotional part of their brain back to the thinking part. And they're able to explain. I think so many times we're like, stop doing that. Don't act that way. You're not being nice. Go to your room. And we're not acknowledging there might be a, a legitimate reason why they're angry. Or at least in their mind, it's a legitimate. So but just by saying, like, you're angry, what's going on? Or um, I could totally see one of our kids, her, when I could see emotions building, her knee just starts shaking. So I'll just say, are you nervous? Are you anxious? And I'll just start opening the conversation before all that explodes out of her. So it's like being aware, understanding mm-hmm. where those emotions are coming from and asking about it. And I think so many times we don't like dealing with it. We don't like dealing with the anger or the fits in the grocery store. So we're just trying to get over as quickly as possible. Um, We're trying to like, don't do that. We're going to go to the car or whatever. Instead, I think it helps them to start that conversation. Like what's going on? What makes you so sad? Why are you so angry right now? Well, and that's good for even me because I don't have a fostered or adoptive kids, but I do have one of my biological children. She's so much like me that just really struggles with that outburst of anger. Mm -hmm. You know, something sets her off and her first response is an outburst of anger. Well, that's how I have always been. Yeah. And so number one, I can relate to her. But number two, I do exactly what you said. So many parents do, right? Like the consequences. Right. But I have realized when I slow myself down enough to pay attention and go, what did make you angry? Why, why are you upset right now? Or I've also noticed with her, I mean, and this is true with a lot of kids, but the ones who are more prone to angry outbursts Mm -hmm. for her, when she's tired, you can just, you can hang it up because (laughs) we have one like that too. Yeah. Just like, yeah. I mean, so, (laughs) and honestly, that's exactly the way I was. I can get hangry. And when I'm tired, like your emotions, like you said, you function more in that part of your brain instead of the thinking part. So that is so helpful for me. And it is something that can be really true for your biological children, too. Absolutely. And just stating, and, you, and I think sometimes when you say, why are you angry? Then they're like filling on the defense, but just saying you're angry. Yeah. And then just giving them space and then just pausing and giving them space to tell you about it. Because I think sometimes like, why are you being angry right now? Then that put, again puts them on the defense. Just say, you're angry. And sometimes you can say, you want to tell me about it or what's going on or just doing it in a compassionate way really makes a difference. Another thing is not escalating with them. And I never thought I was an angry person. Like I raised three kids. <laughs> I always say like the, the before and after was 
God's like, oh, yeah, let's really show you what's in your heart because I never thought I was an angry person. But then that's how he increases our empathy for us. Then having a child like screaming in my face or I think the worst I get most angry when I see one kid acting out against another child in the home that really. And I would just like be following the kid and so angry. Yeah. And um, and then they would say, oh, you just think you're perfect. I mean, they would just know how to provoke me. And I could just feel like my blood boiling and my fist balling up and my jaw tightening. I mean, just like, ah. And I ended up talking to one, one of our kids' therapists about that. And I'll say, I just don't understand. Like when she's in trouble and then she turns it around and starts provoking me and then I get angry and it just explodes. And the therapist is like, you know, she's doing that on purpose, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, if she gets you angry, then it takes the focus off of her. That's right. So all of a sudden you're like, I'm yelling, I'm so sorry. And you're apologizing and you're not dealing with whatever the problem was. Maybe I have a child that used to steal from me a lot or maybe whatever it is that's or maybe hitting another sibling or whatever. If all of a sudden I'm yelling and then, of course, I'm going to apologize because I shouldn't do that. I'm an adult. Then all of a sudden we're not dealing with the real, real issue. So she's like, that therapist is like, tell yourself this mantra. If I say calm, I win. If I say calm, I win. Because they want to provoke you. They're pro- trying to provoke you on purpose because then it gets it off of what they're dealing with. And That's so I right. literally stand there and like unclench my fists, release the breath, and That's just right. remember my job is to stay calm. And they will say things. They know exactly what buttons to push and not to let them do that. And so and really just sending up a prayer like, God, just help me stay peaceful in, the, in this moment. And the more I stopped reacting, then the more they realized, okay, this isn't working. Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of that stopped. And so it is just staying calm <laughs> goes a long, long ways. You know, if I stay calm, I win. Really, if I stay calm, we all win. We all win. Yes. Right? Because whether you're a trauma child, or you're a biological child that struggles with anger, there's just no way to move forward unless somebody really does slow down and help you address what's going on inside of you. Absolutely. And sometimes and another thing that therapists should I'm like all this stuff, everything in common anger kids is things that therapists taught me. It's like as a mom, this is what I learned. But um not dealing with it even in the moment. So maybe someone is acting out, talking back, being disrespectful, like whatever the issue is. So many times we try to lecture them, like you know you're not supposed to talk that way, blah 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 blah. And again, if they're in their emotional brain, the thinking brain is turned off. They're not hearing anything anyway. And the therapist is like, let them go to their room, even if they're slamming doors, because that's another thing. Like, don't slam that door, you know, whatever. Um, just um, let yes. them go. <laughs> just let them go, and later say, you know what, let's talk about this when you're calm. I mean, maybe, and she's like, my therapist is like, even go out to get the mail or whatever, like have a time in a car away when you're not in an angry moment, say, what, what was that about yesterday or whatever? And don't deal with it. Cause if we're lecturing, it is not getting through. It is like bouncing off their, their minds. And we're trying to get this moral principle into them. And it's not going to work in that moment because their thinking brain is turned off when their emotional brain is turned on. Well, and isn't that so much like if I just think about myself, I mean, I'm not paying attention to someone if all they're doing is lecturing me and yelling at me and telling me all the things I need to do differently. And I'm an adult. Right, exactly. (laughs) So it is very true. Well, and I know with anger, you know, there's a couple of ways that kids tend to deal with it. You know, there's this flight, there's fight. Talk about those responses a little bit and why it's so important for us as parents to identify the different ways that kids respond when they're angry. Yeah. So the three ways are flight, 
fight and freeze. And so flight is they're just going to take off because um, the emotions are so overwhelming. And we, I have one child that was definitely a flight child. There was one time um, she got upset with me when we were camping. I had took six little girls camping with this um, American Heritage things, and she's like in the woods because she's upset with me. Then the other child is crying because her sister's leaving. I mean, this whole thing. But flight is I need to get away from the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, I just need to get away. I'm in danger, and they're going to take off. Now, sometimes, like that case, she was definitely like, she was in the woods. She was running away. Sometimes it is like going to the room or you know, uh, another child will run down the street. I mean, all these things, they just want to get away. And that is an emotional response. Fight is they're going to stand their ground. They're going to, they're going to, uh, the adrenaline's pumping and they're going to fight and argue and, you know, lash out all those things. Freeze is another one I think we don't recognize as much, but they're the ones that will withdraw into themselves. And we had one child when we got her, she was five. She would like, if she was overwhelmed, she would just, it's almost like she's, in a coma like she's not really there and it's not a healthy we think like this looks healthier but it's actually the worst because everything is pulling into themselves internalized and a lot of teenagers in depression the ones that aren't fi- outward fighting we say what well, it didn't seem like anything was wrong like they seem like they were fine but they're pulling everything in and it's That's that right. freezing and so that is a harder issue so really it is with your kids you need to say like okay this is a flight but um like with one of our teenagers we're like okay if you feel like you need to just go you can walk around the block and we'll kind of like follow you around. Just know like it was her way to kind of work it out. And that's okay. Like we had to learn with that child. It just helped her to like go and get that adrenaline out and walk around the block. And we kind of like keep an eye on her to make sure like nothing's going to happen. But she needed that. Um, the fight, we just have to teach good responses about, okay, you are really angry. And I know that you feel like screaming in my face, but you know, time out, maybe go to your room. And so her therapist taught her like, just go and, maybe punch her pillow or something that would get it in a more healthy way. So you could help them, even though they're having these responses, you could help them do it in a healthy way. And then if we see the ones that are kind of the freeze that are pulling into themselves, you need to figure out, like pull them out. Like one of my daughters, she'll want to like shut down. I'm like, okay, you can for like 10 minutes, but then I'm going to come and sit by you and I'm going to see how you're doing. And it's just really like kind of going in and rubbing her back and, Letting her know, and at first she's like, don't touch me type of thing, but letting her know, like, I'm not going to let you pull into yourself. But I think we do need to be aware of all the different responses that kids have. Well, yeah, and then knowing how long do you really wait before you do address that? And I know there's no perfect answer, but uh, coming back around with your children and touching base after they've calmed themselves is so important. Mm-hmm, it is. And you really have to, kind of, again, going back to empathy, like I get angry too. And sometimes you would say like that would have made me angry. Like if someone, a neighbor kid down the street said that to me, that would make me angry. That probably wasn't the best response. And like one of our kids, when she would explode, um, she would calm down better if I just sat in the room. So I'm not, I mean, I'm actually sitting there praying, but I'm not lecturing her. She's just ranting and raving. And I'm like sitting there. Sometimes I'll pick up a book and flip through a book. Like, but just me being in the room, it would be like 15 minutes. And she was able to like me sitting there in my presence was able to calm her down. And then probably in another 15, 20 minutes, we were able to talk about it. Now, some kids, they need a while, like they need to process it more. So later that night, I'm like, oh, Let's go talk about that. Let's let's figure out. But it does help to bring it around and always with empathy. Like, 
I get angry too sometimes. You know I get angry, like yes. you know, and, and really talking about what helps us. And sometimes like, you know what really helps me? Sometimes it just helps me to go sit in my room, shut the door and pray, or just give them a tools that they can use. But come back around and say, you know, this is all something that we all have to deal with. And I've talked about, I mean, I got in a fist fight once in high school and they love hearing that story. My kids uh, love yeah. to hear, I, same, <laughs> I same, same. Even my and, friends now sometimes will be like, you got in a fist fight? I'm like, I can't believe y'all can't see it in me that that could actually happen. <laughs> so the, I'll be like, remember, I used to be like, I, I'd be like, because now the, our, every time I see them kind of working up, and sometimes you could even use humor. Yeah. So I'll see like something going on. I'm like, hold my hoops. Because that, you know, that's a thing that that's right. like, let me hold my hoops because I'm going to go in and fight. And so sometimes I'll see them like kind of getting worked up I'm like, OK, is this a hold my hoops moment? And it kind of just breaks the ice yeah. where they're like, OK, I don't need I'm not going to go there. So I think sometimes and it really is just like sometimes you're like, OK, this is not a joking moment. But sometimes if you can see like maybe there's an opportunity to yes. kind of joke around and say, I can see you're upset about this, but let's not go there, you know. Well, and that's some things like we're already talking about some ways to help kids process their anger. You know, those things like if you're the the fight type, you know, maybe going into your room and punching into the pillow or just getting out all the words that you need to get out before yeah. you have like a normal conversation with whoever you're angry with. Um, the walk. Are there any other things that Absolutely. you've had to utilize? Because I know, girl, with 10 kids and then yourself <laughs> and your husband, I mean, I've only got three and I, my toolbox is growing exponentially in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like now I'm like, I don't even know what to do with those th first three kids. I, I mean, we just kind of coasted along. I don't know. <laughs> I've just learned so many things. Like another thing is water. So I also sometimes if I could see they're like really stressed or overwhelmed, like, why don't you go take a shower or why don't you go oh. take a bath? I mean, it could be like the middle of the day in a homeschool day and they're super upset with the sibling and they're overwhelmed with their math. I'm like, why don't you just go get a bubble bath? And they're like, uh, and it just the water releases it. Yeah. Um, and blowing bubbles. We actually made calming bags and I'm trying to think we probably still have stuff around, but we would literally go to the store and buy bubbles, buy stress balls, by all these things, fidget spinners, and say, why don't you go blow some bubbles? Because blowing bubbles is you're breathing in, you're breathing out, you're focused on the bubbles. And um, my 26-year-old, he's 26 now, a couple years ago, we took all the kids to Florida. We found $69 round-trip tickets what? to Florida. My husband was out of town that week for work. I'm like, Nathan, this is like the most spontaneous thing I've ever done. I'm like, Nathan, let's take all the kids to Florida and just like go see the manatees. And so... This is the first time they've flown, like five of them. Oh, first wow. time they've ever flown. And my husband's usually a calming force too. He's not there. So I literally went to the store. I bought bubbles. I bought Play-Doh. I bought gum. Gum's another thing. Yes. Just gets it working. We bought all this stuff and we made calming bags. And we're like, okay, we're taking these on the plane. Anytime we go anywhere, when we go to the beach, this is in December, you're going to have your calming bag. And when you feel overwhelmed, like this is things you do, we put scripture cards in there. And so letting them know ahead of time, like you might be nervous on the plane and it might overwhelm you. You might get angry at a sibling, but you're really just overwhelmed, like letting them know ahead of time. So we are preparing. We're taking your gum. You're taking your calming stress balls, your bubbles, and we're preparing for these things. And so there'd be times I'd be on the Orlando freeway in this rented big huge white van and I see one of my teenagers in the back with the stress ball just like because <laughs> ah, one of her siblings is annoying her so I think that looking and figuring out 
those things that will calm them, whether it's bubbles or taking a bath or, um, you know, going. One of my daughter loves K-pop music, Korean pop music. Like, why don't you go listen to some K-pop for a while? And, and she's like, OK. So, you know, just letting them know that you are aware of them and you know yeah. where that they're getting anxious or angry and then giving them permission to go calm down. Because I know when I'm angry, I just want to, like, go to my room and read my Bible and pray for 10 minutes and just letting them know whatever works for them to give them permission to do that. Yes. You know, there'll be times like I have an agenda. We're supposed to be somewhere. But like, you know what? Let's just take five minutes before we rush out the door. That's We're going to be late, but that's OK. Me. Because I'm like the one where I'm not the calming force. And so when we need right. to be somewhere and everybody's not doing their thing, I'm like just increasing everyone's anxiety. Come yeah, on, yeah. come on, come on, let's go. Oh, I've, I've, I've been there. I've been so there. Those, those are good, very good tools for me, for sure. All right. So our home environment, it matters um, when it comes to creating a calm environment. And sometimes we don't even realize some things in our environment that create anxiety um, or that anxious response in our children. And so what are some common environmental factors that you have seen that can really increase that anxiousness or anger in kids? Yeah, well, I think so many times, one of the, we already mentioned hungry is a thing environment like we need to make sure there's snacks there's healthy food but then also sleep is another huge thing that i think we don't think about um i remember one of my very first articles i ever wrote i was talking to an expert and she said like teenagers especially get so little sleep they're basically toddler oh, big toddlers that are having tantrums because they're tired mm. and i think so many times in our environment with our kids they're not eating healthy they're not getting enough sleep. And thankfully, I homeschool now. I mean, I homeschool, I've always homeschooled. But during the homeschool years, like, sometimes we'll wake up at 930. Yeah. And it's completely okay. Um, but letting them, and even our older kids, they love staying up. You know, we're like, okay, nope, we're wrapping up. It's 930, 10 o'clock. We're going to go. Even if you just lay there and read a book for a while, um, you know, everyone needs to go to bed. Because sleep is, is a thing. And then I think also having just a general schedule and idea of what is going on during the day. I have some kids that get so anxious, like, what are we doing? What are we going? And we have our, you know, general, like, okay, everyone gets up and they eat breakfast. We all have our chore chart that is on the wall. Everyone knows what their chores are. So it's not me all the time. Like you need to do this. You need to do that. And getting that general schedule. And then if there's something different, tell them that like this afternoon, we're going to be going to do this or letting them know ahead of time. I think so many times, we have the schedule in our mind and all of a sudden we're like, okay, everyone choose on them. And they haven't had time to prepare for what That's is going right. on in the, in the day or what, you know, and we'll, I'll even say a couple, a couple days ahead of time, like a couple days from now, we're going to be doing this and it just helps everyone to prepare. And then also just letting the little things go. I was type A personality. Everything had to be clean. Everything had to be organized. I get just so stressed. I remember walking in, there's 11 pairs of shoes by the front door oh, and I'm me. like so upset and, and really the laundry, the piles. And I remember just being so upset and overwhelmed like all the time because I'm just so tense because there's another mess. I just cleaned this kitchen. And my husband one day is like, did you really think we could adopt seven kids and you'd be able <laughs> to keep the house perfectly clean? And actually like until he said that, I'm like, actually, yeah, I totally <laughs> thought I could. But... I have just had to like let, and there's days literally 
because that's really what makes me, I guess, the most tense during the day when I see a mess, when I just clean something up or there's stuff on the me floor. Too. Why is there paint on this table? Who thought if this was a good idea to paint on the table? And and really, God kind of had a talk with me. I remember one day just like being so overwhelmed in the lunch room and he's like, I love you. Not a audible voice, but like the feeling I got this yes. from yeah. From him. It's like, I, I love you just as much if you have a pile of laundry yeah. as when it's all done. And it was like, okay, I don't know. My, my mom and my grandma, like, they're always super neat and clean. I'm a firstborn of everybody. You know, it's just like that whole type A personality. There's days I, I'll just literally say a prayer as I'm walking to the living room, like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> like, and well, let it and go. speaking and of think, like a calm environment, I don't do this well because I'm the same. I get angry and and anxious when my environment's out of whack. Mm -hmm. So I've been working more and more instead of just constantly taking it on the kids. And I, I fail more than I, I wish I didn't fail as much as I do. But I have tried and I'm continuing to try to help them understand that part of what fuels my anxiety mm -hmm. and my struggle is when you simply just don't put your things away. So let's practice that. Let's keep yes. practicing. So we're all helping. Like this is Absolutely. a team environment. Yeah. We're not just going to let it go. And I think there's sometimes like, I know, like I just need to let it go. And there's sometimes like, That's no, right. this is a teachable moment. Yeah. And one thing, my other book is um, the grumble for a year, which came out last November. But um, one of the things that God really showed me that is because my kids were grumbling all the time because I was grumbling at them all the time. So my daughter, I'd say, go, when she was 12 at the time, go in and clean the kitchen. I don't like cleaning the kitchen. She's grumbling. I'm following her. You need to stop grumbling. You know, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't realized. Clean it either. Oh, yeah. That's a familiar one in my. Exactly. <laughs> I realized, like, as she's cleaning, I'm in there, like, okay, you didn't wipe that down. And there's still food on this. And I was, like, nagging her. And I'm like, who would want to go do a chore? when mom is in there the whole time telling you you're not doing a good job. Oh, and so I'm like, as I'm reading these books about affirming each other and lifting each other up, I'm like, okay. So I made a point that day when she went in there, she's grumbling, totally grumbling like normal. I went in, I'm like walking by, like putting laundry away. I'm like, wow. And she's like kind of wiping the counter. I'm like, that part of the counter really sparkles. And then I go back a little while later and she's wiping more of the counter. Like she's using spray this time. And I'm like, you are doing such a good job wiping that counter. Well, then I go in and she's like really scrubbing off the dishes. And I'm like, I can really tell you're maturing in your chores mm. because you are really doing a good job. I'm telling you that girl who would grumble and do a half job every single time spent an hour in there cleaning the kitchen. Because wow. every time I would walk by, I would praise her and I would praise her and I would praise her. And pretty soon, like, she spent an hour, and I'm waiting there. I'm like, this is amazing. Then I go call my husband. You need to come and see how she did the kitchen. And that just, like, boosted her. She's 15 now. She does the kitchen better than anybody. Like, she, I have to tell her sometimes, you do not have to pre-wash every single dish before you stick in the dishwasher. Because she's like, <laughs> and but I always tell her, like, I'm so glad it's your day to have the kitchen because it yeah. always is super clean. And so that went from the child that was probably the worst at doing the chore yeah. to now she is the best. And so I really have to remind myself, like I don't do well if someone's nagging me, but if someone's praising me and telling me That's I did a right. good job, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So that has made a huge, huge difference in just our home environment. When, it, when I feel myself wanting to nag, I'll say like, what can I praise them? What, how can I praise them oh, for this thing reminder. that they're doing? So then the book, the grumble free year, is it all about that? Like focused on, just how to change that grumbling to affirmation. 
Yeah, we actually took it on as a challenge as our family because there was so much grumbling. And we, we we went from a ton of anger to not having as much anger, but just the grumbling. Like everyone's there's there's eleven people in our house. Like his grandma's yes. here, my oldest son was still at home, all these kids, everyone was grumbling. And my husband like, we are gonna work on this. We're gonna give you a challenge for a year. We'll take you on a cruise if everyone works on it. Like we we don't even have to be perfect. Like we want everyone to work on it, which. We were kind of already planning a cruise <laughs> with them, <laughs> but we just made this the motivation. Um, right. And kids and don't literally, have to know that part. <laughs> they don't have to know that. But we memorized scripture verses. We read about the Israelites. We, you know, practiced all these things. And a lot of it, I would say, ninety percent of it came to me like that, like how I'm going to praise them instead of grumbling, mm. like m- me apologizing because I was yeah. like, I didn't realize how bad of a grumbler I was until all of a sudden they're like, uh, you're grumbling again, or you're, <laughs> and so apologize and so a lot of it I would say 90% of it came back to how I approach things how I apologize how I praise them it really made a difference and and by the end of the year it was a night and day difference not that we never grumble anymore but everyone is aware of it more and um, really works at it a lot better we do become what we practice it's so true yeah Tricia thank you so much for being here today how can our listeners find you and connect with you well, I would love for them to do that. TrishaGoyer.com is just my website and Facebook. I'm Trisha Goyer, Instagram, Trisha Goyer, pretty much everywhere. Um, but I would just love if they have even any questions or anything, just feel free to connect with me on any of those places. Yes. And your website is fantastic because you have the blog and you've got all your links there and all the books there. And so it's a really easy place to go there for all of the things. Well, thank you so much for having me. As episode 81 comes to a close, I want to remind you to visit graceenoughpodcast.com and sign up to receive your free download, 10 Scriptures to Pray as a New School Year Begins During a Pandemic. Thank you for listening, and I'll meet you back here next Tuesday with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. We'll be discussing seven areas of rest and how to begin recovering your energy by identifying your area of deficit. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries Podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.